Welcome to Thought Crime and Keto Crime, where Tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to. Welcome to Thought Crime and Keto Crime, where Tracy does the sleuthing so you don't have to. Hey everyone, welcome to Thought Crime and Keto and Crime. I'm Tracy Barkley. Thank you for joining me again. Uh, also, just wanted to, before we get into today's case, wanted to give a personal a shout out and a personal note here. I know that we're going through some really weird times in the world, not just in the United States, but uh, with coronavirus, COVID-19 bearing down on everyone, it's kind of a scary, uncertain time. And I just wanted to say that I think we're going to be just fine. We're going to come through this just fine. We always have. I, I think that a lot of the panic is unnecessary, though we do need to be cautious. I think a mid-ground, I'm not with one of those that just absolutely overlooks what's going on, you know, saying it's a hoax or whatever, and I'm not with those that are absolutely panicking as if it's the end of the world. I'm somewhere in the middle, as I am with most things on politics and stuff. Just take normal precautions. Stay home if you don't feel well. Everything's going to be all right. I, I hate to see all this panic and all this unnecessary fear that we're, you know, we're kind of, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. We get upset and we kind of make that a, uh, a reality by tanking our own stock market and businesses closing and, and stuff like that. So, um, just everybody try to keep a level head. Just breathe. This too will pass. I promise you. And now, let's get into today's true crime case. Today we're looking into the case of Mark Barton, a 1993 mass shooting case that occurred in Atlanta, Georgia at two different day trading firms. So this case is kind of half white collar, half, half murder. Mass killing in Georgia history. A day trader went on a shooting rampage in Buckhead. But in any case, let's get into it. Mark Barton was born April 2nd, 1955 in Stockbridge, Georgia. He was an, he was an Air Force brat. He grew up uh, traveling all over the country, all over the world, though he mainly grew up uh, later in life in South Carolina, where he attended first Clemson University and then the University of South Carolina, where the bright young man who had a brain for finance and a brain for science graduated with a chemistry degree. Upon graduating with his degree, he sought to uh, seek employment in the biomedical field and returned home to where he was originally from in Georgia, in Atlanta. And there he met and married Deborah Spivey. And the two ended up having two children, Matthew and Michelle, with a Y. I think it's a very unique spelling, so I thought I would uh, point that out. One thing that people that knew Mark would always say about him is that he wanted to get rich and get rich quick. He didn't want to go the slower route of saving your money and, you know, doing it the Dave Ramsey way, as I always say, you know, depending on your income, saving over a million dollars to become a millionaire. No. He wanted it fairly quickly, so he always felt that the stock market, as it is for a lot of people, was the golden ticket. So he really wanted to get into finance, even though his aptitude seemed to be in the biomedical sciences, which is a uh, actually a pretty good money-making career to be in. Anyway, but um, he always wanted that, so he would always talk about becoming a day trader or becoming a stockbroker 
of some sort, even though he never really pursued his Series 7 or his Series 6. But he did stay in the biomedical field once in Atlanta. He did receive a job and was actually transferred to northern Alabama. He and Deborah relocated there. And uh, for a time, he worked very happily in this lab. However, uh, his performance started to suffer. His bosses noted that he became, even though at first everyone thought he was a friendly sort, uh, like, you know, everybody, he fit, fit in very well with everybody by all accounts, but soon that attitude sort of changed. He became kind of complacent, felt he was entitled to a lot of things, and just really stopped doing his job. And as a result, his bosses did let him go. But before they let him go, he actually hacked into their computer system and altered a lot of vital scientific data, which cost the company lots of money. And as a result, they did prosecute him and he ended up serving some jail time for his crime. Upon his release from jail in the early 90s, he and Deborah did return to Atlanta, Georgia, where he started a job with a day trading firm, Momentum Securities, which was right in the main financial district off Peachtree Street in Atlanta. Now, day trading firms are a little bit different than regular brokerage houses where you have certified stockbrokers that take trades from people that call in or request them. Like what we do today, which is pretty much all fully automated, um, in the 80s and 90s and even beyond, before that, it was all done manually by telephone, sometimes by paper, a little bit by computer, but mostly by, by humans. And so with regular stock brokerage firms like your Merrill Lynch's, you know, that sort of thing, you actually have stock brokers on the floor of the stock exchange making the trades. And in the offices, you have other stock brokers that are making contact with clients or cold calling people to get new clients and will actually take stock orders or commodities orders or anything that you'd want to trade on the stock market. They'll take those orders by phone, then call up the stock exchange, give that order to a client, to a broker on the floor there who will actually make the trade for them, and then they'll write it up with paper and, and pen. Those are normal brokerage houses, but there were day trading firms, especially in the early 90s when the internet was first becoming a thing. And basically day traders would sign on with these firms as quasi-employees. You know, it was sort of an independent contractor kind of relationship where they could use the licensing from that firm to actually trade for themselves. And the, the day trading house would take a cut of whatever profit they made. So basically you would sign on to these day trading firms. You would be given an account to work with. And you would trade essentially for yourself and the day trading firm that you worked for, quote unquote, would get a cut of your profit. So that's how these day trading firms worked. It really wasn't an employee, you know, salary type position. It was kind of an independent contractor commission type position where you essentially had to work with your own money. And then you would take a profit. The company that you were using their Wall Street licensing to take a profit would also take a cut. So that's kind of how that worked. So he got a a job, quote-unquote, with uh, one of these day trading firms by the name of Momentum Securities. And um, most most of the time, he did real well. Uh, he came up with a chunk of money um, borrowed from family and friends that he was able to start his day trading business with. And uh, for a long time, he did real well. 
But uh, one thing he did find there was a girlfriend by the name of Leanne Van Diver. She worked in the office, but she was also a friend of his then-wife, Deborah Spivey, and the two began an affair. And for several years, from like 1990 to 1993, Deborah sort of turned a blind eye to it. She knew it was going on, but... You know, she didn't. She had two children to raise, so she didn't want to rock the boat. So she kind of kept everything to herself. But uh, people at the office were noticing that Mark was becoming increasingly volatile. Uh, he was also nervous because he had essentially lied to Momentum about his past. He did not tell them about his arrest in northern Alabama for data, data tampering because, as you can imagine, trading with large sums of money, having access to their system, uh, for somebody that's been convicted of a computer-related crime, probably wouldn't have gotten hired. So he was kind of nervous about that. And fights with his wife, Deborah, started to spiral. Police were called to their house several times. And this all kind of came to a head in 1993. Deborah and her mother, Eloise Spivey, went on a Labor Day weekend camping trip in 1993 to center at Cedar Bluff, Alabama, excuse me, Cherokee County, Alabama, Cedar Bluff. This is a town I grew up maybe 20 miles from Cedar Bluff. We played them in football, my high school football team. So this is, you know, and I graduated from high school around this time. So this is something that I remember happening. They took their RV to a campground in Cedar Bluff, Alabama. And there the two women were found on the Sunday before Labor Day bludgeoned to death inside their RV. There was blood everywhere. Both women had been attacked and bludgeoned to death with a blunt object. Most people think it was a hammer. There were no gunshots. There, were, there was no evidence that gunfire or knife play had been there, just bludgeoned to death. Both women were found dead. Uh, there was also a certain amount of vomit on the floor. So many people believe that whomever killed them, probably had a physical reaction from it, and actually threw up after killing them. Uh, immediately after the bodies were found, they contacted the survivors, the next of kin of the family, and it was Mark and his father-in-law, who actually came later that day to kind of identify the bodies and, and you know, make the normal arrangements. And a Cedar Buff Police and Cherokee County Sheriff's Department actually commented that one of the first things Mark Barton said when he arrived at the campground was, gee, I've never been here before. Now that's kind of a strange thing for a, a husband that's just been told his wife and mother-in-law have been bludgeoned to death would say, gee, I've never been here before. Also, there was a question of why he wasn't at the, why the two men were not at the campground with them later on, even after Interviewing the father-in-law, it was found that they were supposed to join them later, that the two women came early and they were supposed to join them later. Um, Mark really didn't have an alibi other than he was with his children. So for some reason, even though he was a suspect in the murder of his wife and mother-in-law, he was never charged. Uh, there was not enough evidence to link him. This is before we used DNA for everything, and I guess no one thought to maybe check that vomit for uh, DNA evidence. Uh, I don't know, but this was before that was commonplace. you got to remember, 
things that happened in the 80s and 90s, they didn't have the technology we have today. Today, he would never have gotten away with that because that would have been one of the first things the investigators did. But let's just say he was never charged, though it is believed to this day that he did do it. Why? He had a girlfriend. A. B. He got $294,000 in life insurance from the death of his wife. And with that, after marrying Leanne in 1995, He used that $294,000 to up his game at Momentum Securities. He went from day trading your normal blue chip type of stocks to the riskier internet-based stocks. Now, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had what we called the first dot-com bubble. Now, this is when companies like Pets.com and Ask Jeeves and, and things like that were were big stocks. They, they were highly valued, much the same way a lot of startups are today, and they were the hot stocks. So he used that $294,000 to fund day trading of these very volatile dot-com stocks. He knew that um, he could make a lot of money with these stocks, so therefore he started highly betting, and for a long time he did real well. There were some days he would make upwards of $500 a day in profit. He would take part of that. Momentum Securities, because they owned the license he was using, would take part of it. And for a long time, he did real well. In fact, he earned a nickname around the office called Rocket, which mainly means that he could rocket to from zero to $500 really quickly. And to a lesser degree, that actually meant that his, his mood can go from happy to sad or sad to happy to angry in the speed of a rocket ship. So it wasn't always a positive uh, nickname. He, Like I said, he did real well up until he didn't. And that's usually how it goes. He kind of got sporadic. He relied too much on the very volatile dot-com type stocks and eventually ended up about $100,000 in the rears. Now, in some of these day trading, especially if you have a record of performance, kind of a, you know, a long history of performing they will sometimes if your money is gone which he had managed to run through the entire entirety of the life insurance proceeds he got from his ex-wife or his deceased wife if he had managed to run through all of that so sometimes if you have a history of good returns these day trading firms will actually allow you to trade with their money to earn some of yours back and that's what they did they allowed him to kind of take out a loan from them to continue day trading when that didn't go so well uh, this is early 1990 uh, early 1999 he was let go they closed his account and told him that he could no longer trade with momentum because he had lost a bunch of money so he seemed to take it in stride took it very well told them hey i understand and i will make good on this debt i will pay you back and he left he immediately went across the street to another day trading firm by the name of Alltech investments and kind of wooed them with his personality and got another day trading gig where he was able to produce ten thousand dollars up front to start trading with and they also gave him a desk there same thing there he would do real well for a while make three four five hundred dollars a day and then kind of hit a down spell and spiral and eventually by april of 1999 he was let go from Alltech as well owing them about 
$30,000. So Mark Barton, for all intents and purposes, disappeared from the Atlanta financial scene for a while until he reemerged in July of 1999. July 28th, 1999, Mark Barton awoke at his Stockbridge, uh, Atlanta, Stockbridge, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta home, and bludgeoned his wife, Leanne, to death with a hammer. Sound familiar? He killed her, put her into her bed, and waited for his children to come home from school. His Both of his children returned from school that afternoon. They had a pleasant evening. Neighbors saw them playing outside. No one really suspected anything foul was going on. The morning of July 29th, he also bludgeoned his two children to death and left them sleeping as if they were sleeping in their beds. He left them. He left his wife and both children in their beds. He then drove to Peachtree Street in Atlanta and entered the offices of Alltech Investments around 12 p.m. The first thing he did is walk into the walk into the main room, which you have a lot of desks and cubicles kind of hanging in there with up to 50 day traders could be working. He walked in. He very pleasantly spoke to everyone, walked immediately to the conference room where the two owners and office managers, as well as their assistants, were in a meeting. He kind of went to the glass window, tapped on it, spoke to the office managers just to say, hey, I got some good news. The office manager said, well, maybe he's going to pay us back the $30,000 that he owes us. And they opened the door and allowed him in. As soon as he got into the room, he immediately shot all three of them at point-blank range. One of the office managers and secretary was killed instantly. One of the owners and office manager slash office manager would live to tell the tale, though he was grievously wounded. He was able to pull himself up and down the hall and get out of the office before he was finished off, but the other two were sadly deceased. He then went into the main trading room and started firing at random. A few of the survivors even heard him say, I hope this doesn't disturb your trading day. So quickly, July 29th, 1999, this chaotic scene unfolded on Piedmont Road in Buckhead. Meredith Forrester was a 22-year-old at work at Alltech Investment Group. She was studying to be a broker. Mark Barton breezed in and I said, hi, Mark, and he breezed by and next thing I know, I, I heard popping noises. She had just met Mark Barton two days earlier and had no idea. He had just killed four people across the street and would then kill five people inside her office. But I thought maybe a computer monitor was shorting, maybe there was a fire, so I turned to run out and as I was running out the door I was shot in the back and I fell and I couldn't I couldn't walk, I couldn't get up. The bullet pierced her back, hitting her spine and several other organs. Meredith needed two surgeries and a year of therapy to be able to walk again. They told my family I had a one in a thousand chance of survival. Police found Barton hours. So he was uh... In all essence, crazy. He lost it. He, he really went postal. I don't think he really realized what was happening himself. He mainly shot up the outside room. He left five people at Alltech dead. He immediately left the office building, walked across the street to Momentum, and did the same thing, killing four people 
there. He immediately fled the scene. Atlanta police were alerted and they chased him uh, around Atlanta in his van. All of Atlanta was on high alert. Then Atlanta Mayor Bill Campbell quoted as saying, there's a lot of blood everywhere and this is the most tragic shooting that has ever occurred in the city of Atlanta up until that point. Police were on high alert. SWAT teams were out looking for his green Ford minivan. The chase went on until about 8 p.m. when he was pulled over by a Cobb County Sheriff's deputy near a gas station just outside Buckhead. And once pulled over, they realized who it was. Deputy called for backup. While they were waiting for backup, they heard a shot ring out from the van. Mark Barton had put a gun to his own head and taken his own life. Later on, when they investigated and searched his home in, Stock in Stockbridge, Georgia, they found the bodies of his wife and two children. They also found a suicide note, what they considered a suicide note, typed up on his computer, left up on the, on the screen. When they you know, jiggled the mouse, there it was. And basically it said that there were demons he was wrestling with that could not be could not be conquered. He felt that his wife and children were better off because Jehovah would take care of them. And he felt he had to get rid of his demons. So, very sad and tragic story there. I'm not sure what, if anything, could have been done to prevent this other than uh, good mental health uh, treatment and uh, locking down better offices. I think 1999 was kind of a turning point where offices started having better security. There's no reason why somebody that was let go, even if it was on good terms, should be allowed just to walk back up into an office. But it was the 90s. We were still kind of innocent in this country, you know. Before 9-11, it was before lots of things. So, yeah, this was tragic. Um, since his death, he has been officially posthumously charged with the murder of his mother-in-law and former wife. And uh, even though he'll never be convicted of it, they fully... Fully now know that he probably did do it, and he's been charged with that as well, posthumously. So, that's the story of the Alltech and Momentum Securities shootings. Uh, one of the first office mass shootings in the country ever. One of the worst ever. Still in history is one of the worst. Uh, a lot of people were in the hospital. Uh, ended up being about 10 people died from their injuries. The rest did recover. Um... Momentum Securities went on for a few years. Alltech, the owners did sell Alltech. Even though Alltech remained in business, it wasn't by the same owners. They wanted to kind of get out of it, get out of the limelight of all that. And, um, yeah, that's the story of Mark Barton. I hope, uh, hope we don't see another repeat of that anytime soon. But, uh, yeah, it's tough, especially when children are involved. It, it always gets me kind of emotional. And uh, speaking of children, in a few weeks I will pr be presenting the uh, case of Diane Downs. It, it's another case of a mother killing her children, so look out for that one. Uh, I'll be back soon with more white collar and murder true crime stories. I hope you enjoyed this. Thank you so much. If you want to support the channel, links are down below for that. Like, comment, share, subscribe. Keto Comic, out.